Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to All the Backlist, a weekly show about books that are not new. I'm your guest host, Vanessa Vies. This is episode 118. And today I get to talk to you about some of my very favorite backlist titles. But before we do that, let me tell you about our sponsor. So I totally forgot that I was supposed to do something cool with the word backlist. So I guess we're going to go with, we're going, going back, back to backlist. (laughs) I don't know if that even works. Forgive me if it doesn't. Um, That song has been in my head, of course, going back to Cali because I am indeed back in Cali. (laughs) I live in Portland now, which was so beautiful and hard to leave. I have never experienced seasons before, at least not for anything more than a brief visit, getting to spend you know, October, at least the beginning of it. And that gorgeous environment with all the trees changing color and the leaves falling has been just so, so, oh, it's the perfect ambiance for witchy reads. And I have been doing a lot of comfort reading this month, which for me does involve witchiness. And that is because the reason I'm back in California, while it was supposed to have been for my birthday trip, it actually also ended up being to rush home on account of a family tragedy. So I'm sure you'll be very shocked to hear that I turn to books in my time of need of wanting to to find some some happy in the middle of all the sad. And for me, that absolutely meant giving myself the green light to continue what I'd already started at the beginning of the month, which is to read just a bunch of witchy backlist stuff that I had been meaning to get to. So before we get into that. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him, unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be. Right? Right, girl. Like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series. Miss Wong, got it going on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. 
But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Elena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. So the first title I want to tell you about is The Witches of New York by Amy McKay, which I've been meaning to get to this for so long, and I'm so glad I finally did. At the very beginning of the book, I want to say it opens with this line, and that line is taken from an advertisement, and it says, uh, like, respectable woman seeks responsible shop girl with knowledge of... I think plants and tea and must not be averse to magic or, you know, something to that effect. And that advertisement is in a paper in 1880s New York. So the Gilded Age and a young woman by the name of Beatrice, who is 17 years of age, I believe, responds to this advertisement, packs up her stuff and heads to New York City. She wants to be said responsible shop girl. She's always had an inkling or really a curiosity, I guess, in magic. She wants to know whether or not magic is real. You know, does it really exist? And so this ad is just like her chance to, you know, leave behind the smaller town life that she's presently living and to make it to the big city. And then, of course, to find out whether there is indeed magic in the world. So she shows up to this place. It The advertisement was for a shop. It is, oh, I can't get enough of how perfect this is. It's a tea shop, which if you know anything about me, the intersection of books and tea or books about witches in tea is solidly like the white hot center of my wheelhouse. <laughs> and so this tea shop is called tea and sympathy, which I just love. And at this shop are two women, Adelaide and Eleanor, and they help a certain clientele, specifically, you know, ladies with their problems. And they do so while serving them these delicious batches of tea they're witches. They have differing abilities, as witches often do. Um, Adelaide has visions. Eleanor um, has, has magic of a different type. She too, I think, has some visions, but she also, you know, concocts these remedies based on the tea and can conjure. Oh, you have to read it. I don't want to give too much away on like what each of their powers are. But Beatrice shows up and decides she wants to work for these women, and they quickly discover upon her meeting some of their clients and the fact that she can see people that they can't, that she actually does possess the gift. She is a witch herself. She can see folks from beyond the veil. And so they're like, yeah, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna work here. Sit down. Let me, let me teach you some stuff. Against all of this. So, you know, 1880s, the Gilded Age is a time when people were suddenly very interested in the supernatural and the spiritual seances were a really big deal. But, you know, right alongside that curiosity, as is often the case and has been since the dawn of time, were a whole bunch of angry men and women, but a lot of men wanting to root out anything and everything to do with witchcraft, blaming it on an alliance with the devil. And so... When they hear of the goings-on at this tea shop, they make it their personal mission to not only see to these women's downfall, like these particular three women, but also just to, you know, a bunch of other random young women who they accuse of witchcraft for the dumbest reasons. Who would have thunk? (laughs) And so the book, I will say, comes with a trigger warning for violence against women. Um, It's not over-the-top graphic, but it is definitely there. And it's, you know, in the vein of the kinds of violence that you often saw when women were accused of witchcraft and then tortured until they 
confessed to the thing they did or didn't do in ways that are horrifying. And But oh my gosh, this book though is just so fantastic. There is a lesbian romance, which I really appreciated. It's like woven into the fabric here. The witchcraft itself is, you know, definitely of a, I don't want to say subtle variety because some of it is pretty out there, but I just love the way each of these three women move independently in the world, the way that they use their agency and assert themselves and their friendship and like caring for one another. It was just so delightful. I love me a good piece of historical fiction. You also learn because this is going on uh, at the beginning of the book and throughout it, a little bit about how Cleopatra's needle came to live in New York versus, you know, it was when it was brought over from Egypt. That's going on at the, when the book opens and it talks a little bit about that. So that, that was an interesting piece of history that made me want to go back and visit it next time I'm in the city. But, oh my God, just so lovely. Do highly recommend it on audio. Of course, I'm blanking on the name of the narrator, but I will make sure to put it in the notes. It was really, really enjoyable that way. I think it's just the perfect witchy listen for October. And my next pick, you know, warning here, I'm about to get a little mushy, but <laughs> the tragedy of which I spoke was my grandfather's passing. My abuelo was almost 90 years old. He lived a long and beautiful life, uh, but it was, of course, very sad to have heard of his passing, specifically because I wasn't around when it happened, and that's difficult for me. But I went into the weekend, I got on the plane with all of these books in mind that I was going to read, and I ended up going back and rereading a book that I've talked about so many times on the site and on you know YouTube that a part of me thinks it's a cheat to like talk about it again, but I love it so much, and it brought me a little bit of comfort. And it's part of my book, right? Origin story. So I went with it anyway. And that is Labyrinth Lost, which is the first book in the Brooklyn Brujas series by Soraida Cordova. So I met Soraida at Book Riot Live. For those of you like OG writers <laughs> that have been to that event, it is sort of a giant like book festival that Book Riot used to put on several years back. This was the second one, which was in New York City. I went to a panel on, I think, authors talking about finding their voice, and that's where I met Soraida, who talked a bit about her immigration story coming over to the States from Ecuador when she was a little girl. Uh, she remembers the trip, so she wasn't so young that she didn't have you know, cognitive memory. She, she does remember the trip really well. They moved to Queens, and she is, has a really, really successful writing career. She has this really great series called The Vicious Deep that is about mermen. <laughs> it's a young guy. Think like off the coast of, uh, or lives basically in Coney Island, who finds out one day that, hey, you're like kind of a merman and you might also be king of the sea. So if you haven't checked those out, I definitely recommend that you do. But the Labyrinth Lost book, you know, the beginning of this Brooklyn Brujas series, both of the first two are out. The third is coming next year and was just announced. Uh, these are the books that I wrote about, or the first book I, I wrote about when I started with Book Riot, because I mentioned how great it was to have this discussion with Soraida about seeing brown folks represented in fantasy, specifically her type, which is, you know, urban fantasy. I didn't get to see people that looked or sounded like me or my family when I was young and, you know, all of my reading. I loved fantasy, still do. And it was just so great to not only read a piece of fantasy written by a Latinx writer, but one that was about brujeria and a lot of the rituals that you see in Latinx culture surrounding death. So this book is about Alex Mortis. Each of the books is told from the perspective of one of the different Mortis sisters. The first kicks off with Alex. Alex is days away from her death day ceremony. And death day is when the young women 
that are brujas, witches, come into their powers, basically. They, you know, be officially kind of indoctrinated into the, like, witch culture. Like, you were, you know, you, it's kind of like a quinceañera, I thought of it as, although not really. <laughs> but again, you accept your powers, you come into them, and you are essentially, you know, a grown woman now for all intents and purposes, sort of. You get where I'm going with this. Problem is, Alex hates magic. She blames a lot of the things that have gone wrong in her life, specifically her father's, like, abandoning, or so she thinks, keep reading, of her family on magic and brujería. Her mother is a healer, like a curandera type of thing, and so she's always just sort of felt, kind of felt embarrassed by the attention that that has brought her and her family, and she just doesn't want anything to do with it. She wants a quote-unquote normal life. So unbeknownst to anybody, this girl goes and like digs out this spell that she's not supposed to know or perform, performs it on the day of her death day ceremony, and that spell is supposed to completely rid her of her magic, of her powers. Pero guess what? It backfires. Who saw that coming? <laughs> her family immediately vanishes into thin air when she casts the spell. And she's looking around like, Oi, uh, okay, mm, what do I do? <laughs> and she ends up having to sort of get together with this kid that she knows from the neighborhood, this guy, he is the son of a woman that her mother knows and trusts. She's also a bruja. And so she ends up having to team up with this guy named Nova because he's the only person that even halfway knows a little of like what she's dealing with to try and go to this mission to basically an underworld kind of place to hopefully get her parents or and her, her family back. That underworld is so amazing and lushly and beautifully described, even though it's like a hella dangerous place. And the rest of the book before, you know, we descend into that underworld takes place in Brooklyn, as you may have guessed from the Brooklyn Brujas part. So there's just so much to love. I loved all the Spanish, all the references to Latinx culture, again, with the way that it treats those like brujeria, witch legends and the tradition of healing and uh, like natural approaches to, to to healthcare or to health in general and, and, and well-being really, not just health. I, oh, it, it just means so much to me to read about my people just doing adventure things and lots of other things that just, you know, anybody who knows me knows I like to talk about representation. So, so much fun. Uh, there is also some queer representation in this book, which I really love. I just, there's a lot to love. I love her. I love everything she's doing. The third book in the series will be out next year. So you have plenty of time to read Labyrinth Lost, and then the second book is Bruja Born, which is told from another one of her sister's perspectives. Well, that is all I have for you, book nerds. Thanks so much for joining and hearing about some of my witchy reads and listens for this month. Thanks again so much to our sponsor. If you want to see a list of the books I mentioned today, head on over to the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books. And if you want to show us some love, which we of course would love, leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other book lovers find us talk to us, hopefully fall in love with us just like you have. And you can find me specifically in my Latinx Spanglish shenanigans at Twitter and the gram at Buenos Dias SD. That's B-U-E-N-O-S-D-I-A-Z-S-D because I'm from San Diego, even though I don't live here anymore. Don't at me. Lib will be back next week to talk more backlist titles. In the meantime, happy reading. <laughs>